Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, listeners, Kevin and I need your help. Yes, we need your help. Please, please, please. We need your stars. We need your reviews, you guys, on iTunes so we can start to climb those iTunes rating charts. It's simple. Open iTunes, click on the iTunes store, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. If you need some help, help, think of one star being Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the road company of the last five years, and five stars being free front row tickets to Hamilton. (laughs) Although, when you think about it, I actually would give five stars to the road company of Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the last five years, because I think that would be Uh, awesome. I would love to hear, can I hear moving too fast as Paul? (laughs) (laughs) That's the the one I really want. Jesus shakes the goddess. (laughs) And through Erica Schwartz and Danica Weiss. And the Handelman twins. <laughs> so there you go. You can also leave a comment if you like. That's it. That's your reviews. It. Send us Thank your reviews, you. friends. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. We're also excited to announce you can now listen to us on Broadway Radio. Ooh. Today's guest is a legend amongst musical theater fans. While audiences across America might remember her many appearances on the Merv Griffin Show, our listeners will probably know her for having one of the most amazing voices from the golden age of the American musical. She was destined to become the next Ethel Merman. Hyperbolic? Not really, because that's a direct quote from Ethel Merman herself. I didn't know that. Her incredible voice was heard in such not-so-incredible musicals as I Had a Ball, I'm Solomon, A Joyful Noise, The Selling of the President. I know, you've probably not heard of some of those, but they were great shows in their own right. And what many musical theater fans consider to be an essential cult musical. That's right, The Grass Harp. She is an Emmy Award-winning actress, cabaret artist, and teacher, plus the undisputed queen of the flops. Joining us via telephone from Los Angeles, direct from the Baby Love Miracle Show, here is the wonderful Karen Morrow. How long have you been in Los Angeles? Oh gosh, I you know this this is something I keep asking myself. I've been here since nineteen sixty nine. Isn't that oh god, doesn't that sound like it's <laughs> for all oh, ancient sixty nine. Wow. So that must be how many years is that almost I mean that's fifty years, yeah, at least fifty some years, fifty six Oh my god <laughs> I never figured it out till now. Do I mean sixty nine? Yeah. Yeah, I got into uh, I got my equity card in 1960, and I was in New York for nine years, and then came out here, and that's it, honey. Oh, oh, and- oh I'm <laughs> feeling so old at this moment. Anyway, what do you love? I was gonna say, what do you love about LA so much? What do I like about it? Uh, the weather. I mean, purely, <laughs> simply, the weather. I do, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's my home now, although, I, you know, I still don't think of myself as a Californian, oddly enough. I think of myself as an Iowan because I was raised in Iowa, and uh, that's that's at the foundation of everything I am is Iowa. Uh, but I, it's, I, I just love the weather out here. I love the fact that I can get in the car and go to the mountains or, or go to the ocean 
or I can uh, go to the desert, and it's it's just easier. I, I found New York to be so difficult, even though it it isn't. I mean, you you take a subway and you can get anywhere. It's great. It's so compact and everything. But I just I just I'm not a city person. I'm not no. a city person at all. Yet I mean, the Iowa roots are there. I want suburbia or something that looks like suburbia. Karen, I have to ask you, um, how did you fall in love with musical theater? How did you get started? Well, let me see. I didn't, really. Um, I just was surrounded by music. My parents were both singers. They were classical singers, so we had a lot of classical music. But but uh, I, I, of course, loved television. I loved all the variety shows on television. So that was that was who I wish I could become, you know, was somebody on television. Uh, um, oh, God, Mitzi Gaynor. I thought she was just so cute. She wore great costumes, and and uh, she wasn't a great singer or anything, but she could dance and be pretty. That was that was the thing. And who else? Gosh, uh, uh, isn't this awful? Joe Stafford. Of course, she wasn't on television, but my but uh, I listened to a lot of records. So it was Joe Stafford, and it was the Four Freshmen, and it was Eddie Fisher. Oh my God, I thought his voice was sensational. And Gordon McRae, and uh, that was about it. And then, then when I went to college uh, in Dubuque, Iowa, uh, my roommate, my first, my second roommate, uh, would play me uh, albums from, like like Broadway albums and um, uh, anthologies. Like she he she had the four freshmen. Whether the four freshmen was for something else, singing stuff from Happy Fella, with the standing on the corner, the real high tenor in the in the quartet, and uh, I thought that was all kind of swell. I didn't know what kind of voice I had. I just sang. Then I heard a recording of Susan Johnson doing "Most Happy Fella" when I was a senior, I think, in college. And then doing the musicals over at over at the boys' school, and I just fell madly in love with it because it suited my personality and my sound. Was was Brigadoon your first musical there? Yeah, I did uh, Brigadoon. Wow! And uh, uh, I was, of course, Meg Brookie, and uh-huh. <laughs> and I got a, an LP of Susan Johnson doing the same song. Mm-hmm. And and I just went, oh my god, oh my god, that's what I can I can do. Oh my god, I could use my voice. Oh my god. What did you love about Susan Johnson so much? Why did she stick out to you? Oh well, that sound was so. It was not just belting, not not you know like today's belting. It has no bottom to it. It has no roundness. It's just mm. sharp focus straight ahead. And it sounded it was a big sound, but it wasn't operatic it was it was clear and big and and uh, uh, just clear and big, which I thought i kind of i mean I had this big voice too, and it didn't but it, my voice didn't sound like anybody else's, but it sounded like hers and mm-hmm. so i I just identified with it i absolutely mm-hmm. i didn't know what she looked like or anything in fact, I didn't even meet her until we did follies together out here. Uh, probably, oh, maybe about 15 years ago, something like that. Well, that must have been really cool. <laughs> well, well the, the boy dancers, of course, 
they knew we were going to meet. They, they, so they all came into the room to watch us meet each other. Oh, <laughs> oh that's so sweet. It was so sweet. But, I, I mean, I burst into tears. And I thought oh, yeah. for a whole week all I did was cry every time I heard her or saw her. And she gave me, you know, she gave me uh, an opening night. She gave, when she knew I was such a devoted fan, so, of course, she, you know, cottoned up to me right away. Mm. Um, but she gave me a present that Frank Lesser gave her on opening night of Happy Fellow. It was a an amethyst tie pin. <laughs> you know how Tony sings that to uh, to Rosabella. He yes. left. He leaves her a tie pin in the restaurant. That's the only tip he gives her. Yes, that's well, right. Well, Frank, I guess Frank gave out a bunch of them or something for opening night, and so I have her amethyst tie pin. What a treasure! Very big treasure. And you, well, I had my all my jewelry stolen, and the two things that they dropped was that and my mother's wedding ring, and I can't oh. tell you how grateful oh, wow. I am for that. Everything else was in, just, you know, insi- well, not insignificant. There were some sentimental things, but those yeah. two, wow. So, yeah, so I remember her fondly. What got you from the Midwest to New York City? Um, let me see. Uh, well, college, college in, uh, in Dubuque, uh, when I graduated from college, my best friend who went to a different college we always thought we would do something together. We were going to be stewardesses together for a minute. And <laughs> then we decided we were going to be in show business. <laughs> because the priest and, I know. Well, the priest and, maybe I told you about, and his choreographer friend, Eugene Loring, who was a big choreographer for Martha Graham and all that stuff. He, he choreographed Rodeo. That was his. Anyway, oh, wow. he, came, he came to do the musicals every year. And he would bring his dancers from Hollywood. Uh, from his school here in Hollywood. They would be the chorus, the dancing chorus, and then we would, you know, be the others. And he spotted that I had something. And he told my parents when they came to see me, he just said, you know, he said that this is this is a, a woman who could be a girl or whatever, who could really be something. I'm offering her a scholarship to my studio in California. She will come and she will sing, and I'll have the dancers work around her, and we'll tour the country. And my parents went, I showbiz, no, <laughs> no. But they saw that I had talent. So anyway, so off I came to California, and I, I walked into his office, and he didn't remember me. <gasps> I know, I know. So, hello. So I, start, I looked for a job here, and then my roommate, uh, she, she got a job, but then she got engaged back in Des Moines, and, and we and so together again again with my best friend we went to Milwaukee, oh. uh, with my college roommate, and who was there and and they all said go and audition for the theater here and I went no 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 mm-hmm. and so I did and they hired me and then a year later what was the I, uh, what was the show that you auditioned for I was in the remember? chorus of Brigadoon. Oh my gosh, Brigadoon again. Well, it's always well. Listen to my first show. Was I know it wasn't my first show at City Center. It was a show at City Center. Yeah. Um. Uh. Anyway, so so uh, I did the uh, I I was in the chorus and and met some people from New York and they they said you know I need a roommate in New York. Do you want to get an apartment? I went oh sure sure, bragging about I'm gonna go to New York now. And then they wrote to me and they said okay I I, I put the down payment down. You owe me a hundred dollars. I went what? Oh. So I had to go. <laughs> but in the meantime, I was learning a lot about musicals and stuff because I was in a review called the best of no, it was called highlights of musical theater. It was at a 
Mafia restaurant. Oh. And I know it. And so uh, so I went with the drummer. The drummer and I drove to New York, and I had my my bag of tricks and my audition dress and my audition shoes, oh, my, my audition uh, song. What was that? My song was uh, Perfect Relationship from Bells Are Ringing. Of course. Because I could make a lot of noise and make a lot of faces and stuff yeah. like that. And, then, and how old um, were you when you moved to New York? Uh, I was I was old. I was 23. Huh? 22. 22. I was about yeah. to be 23. So I was, I had, you know, killed some time after graduation because I was 21 when I graduated. Uh, and when you teaching, moved to New York? Oh, yeah, sorry. I, no, go, I was just going to say, the, the little teaching job that I did in California here uh, in near Pasadena uh, lasted only a few months. And then I, then I went to Milwaukee and got in the theater, like, almost right wow. away. And then right from there, I went to New York and was it hard to figure out the business in New York? I mean, did you get into auditions really quickly? Uh, yeah. You know, was it, it was pretty easy? Oh, yeah. The next day, I, I, the, the, the day after I arrived, I went for an audition for Subways Are For Sleeping, and I got typed out. And I thought, what? I never heard <laughs> of that. I had my audition dress and everything. And I, then I just, I just started going to auditions. And I can't remember exactly... I, uh, people liked me, and I didn't have an agent, and I, was, I, I ran into David Hartman. No, was it David Hartman? No, it was somebody else. And I, isn't that awful? I can't remember. No, it's and, okay. And, and, and isn't that terrible? I can't remember. But he just said, i got to stop at my agent here. I was on my way to audition for Radio City Music Hall mm-hmm. for a singer. And he, so we stopped at his agent's office, and, and he said, Oh, this is my friend Karen, and she sings too. So the agent just said, "Okay, sing for me." <laughs> so I went, "It's perfect." <laughs> and he said, "Just a minute." And he called his wife, and he said, "Honey, listen to this." And I went, it's "Crazy, ridiculous!" Did the whole thing, and he said, "You know, could could I represent you?" And I said, "Sure." And he did that thing. He did that thing. He took me downstairs and took me over to Broadway, and he said, "You see that street?" <laughs> I'm no. going to make that yours. <gasps> no okay. way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Way. Yeah. Way. And he did kind of. I mean, like. <laughs> it was so sad. I can't, re- can't remember his name now, uh, but his his assistant took over my life and, and was. He really did. He put me out there and I got into a show right away. I got into. Um, uh, I went to one audition and the accompanist for somebody else heard me. And his show was an off-Broadway show called Sing Muse. And oh, Joanne yeah. Worley was Joanne Worley was the star, and she bowed out. And he, they, someone said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? He said, I just heard a girl at an audition. And I don't know how he found me. Jeez, because we didn't have cell phones or anything. I don't know how he found me, but he called me and said, oh, he probably called my agent. Oh, your service number, yeah. And and um, and my agent uh, said, you know, they want you now. So I went down to the village, auditioned for the guy, and he said, oh, God, you got the job. And he was <sighs> one of those, too. I, he said, well, are you going to go back to your apartment? I said, yeah. yeah. He said, how are you going to get there? I said, Subway. And he gave me $5. He said, here. He said, you're going to be a star. You need to take a taxi. Wow. So I, was, well, I mean, with that kind of feedback, I, I was believing. Well, no, I wasn't really believing. I just... Went, oh God! This is New York, isn't this great? <laughs> right, this is how it always happens. <laughs> yeah, and I had just gotten there. I had just gotten there. So, and you won a theater world uh, award uh, yeah, for that. Yeah, Sing Muse. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, was Sing Muse about? 
It was a um, was written by Eric Siegel, you know, from you know, Loving the Don't Have to Say You're Sorry, uh, from Love Story, <laughs> um, and Joe Raposo, who was the original composer and, and oh, yeah. uh, on, on Sesame Street. Um, it was about the Helen of Troy legend, and it was all kind of updated and kind of clever and and uh it, it, we uh, achilles was a was a fighter a, a box a boxer and we were all kind of contemporary people and mm-hmm. it was meant to be very very clever and it was too clever for its own good mm. but uh it was you know the deus ex machina came out in a in a sharp suit and went you know oh. he, uh, there's a guy from stalag 17 addies addies so it was a takeoff on that and gotten very bad reviews, but I got I got good reviews. So that was a good intro- introduction for you into New York City. I mean, the industry definitely probably took notice of you just from that alone. Oh yeah, I got a lot of telegrams from, I mean, from Richard Rogers and people like that. And uh, that's and, and and I mean, well, and and then they called my agent and wanted to meet me. I mean, there were a lot. They were yeah. Well, listen, and then agents. I still didn't have. A big deal agent, and they were, they they came along, I and mean, they were just all hungry for a new person, mm-hmm. and and I was the new person there. I was the flavor of the month there for a minute, wow. and um, uh, and so I remember before I went to New York when I was then then interested in music theater in Milwaukee. I would read Variety. I thought it was so cool, and there was always a picture, a caricature of Jimmy Durante, in somewhere in the middle of the paper. Um, his caricature with the William Morris uh, logo, you know, where the upside-down W, and, and the M is the upside-down W, the mm-hmm. W is the upside-down M. And so when all these agents came to me, from the big offices, big offices, uh, the only one I paid attention to was the Morris office. Uh, and also he was the only agent who came into my dressing room and took off his hat. <gasps> and I went, wow. Wow. Uh. The other guys just kind of, I mean, even, the, even the biggies, the biggies came in, they kept their hand, hi, sweetheart, how are you? And I went, uh, yeah. So I signed with Morris, and the next thing I knew, I was uh, Tammy Grimes' uh, standby, went on the road with Molly Brown. So I didn't get a chance to really do anything in New York right after my success, except uh, I went to Did you do Center? No, not yet. I did that when I got back. Uh-huh. So I'm talking Molly Brown was in like 61. Oh, okay. Uh, you weren't even born then. <laughs> did you enjoy Did you enjoy going on the road? Oh, yeah. I had never traveled, and I was traveling really well. I, I got what I thought was a nice salary. It was $900 a week. I was so oh, excited. Geez. No, it was less. But then I took over the role. Uh, it was $400. Then I took over the role, and I got $900 a week then. Oh. And I thought that was great, and I managed to save it, and you know, had a lot of roommates. We all had lots of roommates, and yeah. and when I came back, then you know, then I really started auditioning in earnest, uh-huh. and then got on television. I think did I do? I think I did television before I did my first Broadway show. You did a lot of television. Yeah, I did. Yeah, well, Variety was very important then, and they mm-hmm. were always looking for new faces. Everybody wanted to have the newest, hottest, latest kid. So. Did- did you have a favorite television show that you were on a lot? Let me think. Well, I love big. Yeah, well, I, I mean, as a guest, as a guest, I, I did a thousand zillion Merv Griffin, so that was always oh. fun. 
and I never knew what he was going to do. And it was it was he was so good to me, and he, and he he really he really liked my my singing, and he liked playing for me and everything. Uh, I love that. But of the series that I did, which none of them lasted long, I loved doing Tabitha because. That was just nuts and, and changing costumes. Oh, the Bewitched uh, offshoot, yeah. Sort of, yeah. I mean, it was years after right. Bewitched, but it was playing on the same premise, you know, where Tabitha grew up, you know, the baby was now grown up, and uh-huh. and then they needed they needed an Agnes Moorhead type character, so that was me, Aunt Minerva, and uh, <laughs> nice. I know. Now, and, now, Karen, I have to ask you about Merv Griffin. I I don't know if you know this, but so many of your episodes are on YouTube. They are, but they don't show me. Oh, actually, I was watching a, a, a great one yesterday. I wanted to ask you about it. The guests were, yeah, the guests were you, Ethel Merman, Ann Miller, and Dolores Gray. Yeah, that one. I've seen that 100,000 times. That's been, on, that's been on YouTube a lot. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm talking about the, the Griffin Show on Get, Get TV. Uh, they, they, will, and they go way back. And I was, I, was, I was on Merv's very first show. Very what? first show, and it was in the afternoon. It oh, really? Like, yes, it was probably like 1962 or something. That Milt Kamen and I were the first two guests, and then we traveled with Merv. Merv wanted to, he wanted to take a big band on a bus and go places because he he just thought that was great. That, that was like his old the old days, mm-hmm. and so he asked me and and Milt. Uh, we were with the Morris office, but I mean, I must say he was he liked me, which was great, mm-hmm. and I learned a lot. I learned so much about performing and about and about music and about arrangements and stuff like that just from doing his show and having people do arrangements and, and things like that. Do, so, Karen, did you have a club act as well? Not then. Or? I did. I did. Um, well, the first time I did a club was with Buddy Hackett. Oy. Oh, what? Uh, because I was the leading lady in his show, and again, for and his friends, you know, I was always opening for. I was doing the benefits with Joey Bishop and all those co- Borspelt comics. Well, they weren't Borspelt exactly. They were like the generation after. Yeah. But um, so I was the newest one in the crowd, so I would do that. But then Buddy was asked to do a uh, to open a club in a hotel in Cleveland, so he asked me to go along, and I got some arrangements and stuff. And I didn't know how to do an act. I didn't know it all, but I opened the show, mm-hmm. and then. It was just one night, and then uh, that hotel, by the way, closed down because that was the place where the first Legionnaire's disease. <gasps> oh my <happened>. gosh! <laughs> and it, yeah, it and and so it closed down. Then after that, when I did after I did Joyful Noise with John Raitt, he was doing uh, a club act. He was doing a lot of club acts, and he asked me to to go along with him. And I did one in Chicago, and then I just I never wanted to do another one again. But I started doing, yes, a cabaret act. Uh, I started doing a cabaret act in, uh, I forgot what year. That would probably be like 74 or 5 mm-hmm, in New mm-hmm. York. And can you take us to I Had a Ball when that started? Because you must have toured, and then you, you came back to New York and auditioned earnestly. Um, and you did some city center stuff then, too, probably. Yeah. And then how did I Had a Ball come about? Audition. Yeah. I was I was one of those people that was floating around. I auditioned for that and for Kelly. I was out, oh, yeah. I was on the road, that's right. I was on the road with uh, Molly Brown and my agents. Uh, I mean, while I was out here, they had me do all sorts of of uh, auditions and I got the Red Skelton show 
and I don't think there was any other variety show to do. And then uh, while I was on the road, you know, we were always flying, and I was flying into New York to audition for something. So I came in to audition for uh, I Had a Ball and Kelly, the famous One Night Kelly. Yep. And uh, one, one agent at Morris' office was representing Kelly, and then my other agents, my my most most often agents were representing I Had a Ball. And I had to and I was offered them both. And I had to make a decision. And something in me said, there's been so much um, press about Kelly, just Kelly, 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 Kelly. And no one had ever heard of I Had a Ball. And I said, I Had a Ball has nowhere to go but up. Kelly has nowhere to go but down. Wow. So I decided to do Good I Had choice. a Ball. Uh, if I had done Kelly, you know, who knows what would have happened. But... But I had a ball kept me going uh, with the talk shows and all that stuff for about as long as it ran, I ran. Uh, so that was about six months. Six, six months, yeah, yeah. I have to ask you, what was it like working with Buddy Hackett? Oh well, you don't really. I, he was just, he was just uh, <laughs> crazy. He was a comic, you know. And, and I, again, then after working with him, I worked with a lot of other comics, and there that was a whole other breed. They just, it's about the jokes. Uh, he didn't stick to the book. Yeah, I heard he would, like, break character. I mean, he would, like, do his own shtick sometimes during the show. Like, he would just... Do his entire act after the show, and the band would stay. If it hadn't been what? for him... Oh, yeah. If it hadn't been for him doing... I mean, an act. He would stick around for half an hour and do, you know, and well, we would all go home. <laughs> and, but the band stayed until the union finally said, you can't stay, but they were having such a good time. Oh my uh, but he kept the show running, so we all kept working for six months. We would we would have closed right away because we got seven, seven devastating reviews. Oh, there were seven what? newspapers at that time. Devastating. Yeah. Karen, what was the plot of I Had a Ball? What was it about? Um, it was a carnival, uh, Coney Island carnival folk, uh, mm-hmm. and he was uh, a phony looking into a, a, a ball, crystal ball. Mm-hmm. And you know, people would come in and he'd tell them things. You're like, like there are now. Still <laughs> yeah, <so> there. <laughs> Pony spider, so there. I know. And but then all the rest of us were just carnival folk, and I forgot what the plot was. There was like a love story with like Stan, the Richard Kyle. You know, he's like uh, the couples are mismatched, and at the end, you kind of end up to, in the right couples. And yeah, well, I ended up with him. Except the scene right before the end of the show was a tunnel of love scene. Yeah. Where you go to to black light and oh. you've probably read this before and i and so i would i would hop in i would get in no. the, the the car with somebody i don't know and uh and then supposedly then the, then the car comes around uh to the front of the stage again and there i am with dick kiley and, and oh and everything is just fine but night after night because the, the the car would go backstage it would go behind the uh, behind the the scrim or behind the curtain, the backdrop, and then uh, and then we'd come out into the light. So back then we would scramble. I'd get I'd get in the front seat or blah blah blah, blah and the the guy you know, Dick would get in the seat next to me, and then we'd come around and the spotlight would hit us. Well, night after night, one night it was Sammy Davis sitting next to me, and another <laughs> night it was Steve Lawrence sitting next to me. Then there was Dean Martin. I mean, all these all these friends. Oh a lot of them were were on Broadway at the time, and their shows would come down before us, and then oh. they'd run over and get into something. <laughs> <laughs> a little cameo. 
Yeah, well, you know, the audience would go nuts. They loved it. So, the, so we started selling a lot of tickets. We did very well. We did very well based on Buddy and his pals. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's I mean, a the music wow. wasn't bad either. I, I, I like. I just listened to it the yeah. other day. I was just going to say, I'm so glad it's preserved on record and that we have you singing the title song and all those other great songs. And it's it's a great score, I think. I think so. I think it serves its purpose. It's kind of uh, the orchestrators were were good guys who had been around. They were real. Phil Lang, band. I think. Uh, yeah. Who? Wasn't it Phil Lang? Philip Lang? Philip Lang, yeah. yeah. And I, I think, um, well, Luther Henderson, I'm trying to think, did he do some things? He probably, there yeah. used to be a lot of, like, ghost writers. You know, it wouldn't be just one orchestra. It'd be, like, a couple, because it was just so much work. But, oh, man, it's just... And there's, uh, I think it might be you on the Ed Sullivan show doing yeah. the title number. Yeah. Uh, fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Now, Karen, how did a joyful noise come about for you? I don't know. I auditioned and got it. <laughs> I, well, maybe I didn't audition. I don't know. Uh, but it, it again, because because I was still kind of the new hot kid with the big voice. Mm-hmm. Um, there, the part of Mary Texas was that of a, a big voice country western blonde, you know that type of a thing. And I filled the bill. <clears throat> and, and I probably I don't even remember who wrote it. Our listeners might, yeah, I was just going to say that Joyful Noise isn't exactly a, maybe a household name. I think there's an al- I have the album, I have a record yeah. album of it, but it, it was a country musical-ish, wasn't it? Very definitely. Uh, John Raitt was, a, was a, a Johnny Cash type character. Yeah. And it was, well, you know what it was? It was a face in the crowd, that type of a thing, where uh. he suddenly became popular, and his little wife, who was played by Susan Watson, uh, went by the wayside, and he you know, fell for me. Because mm-hmm. I was one of those big bosoms, except I wasn't. I didn't have yeah. a big bosom. <laughs> I just had a lot of hair. When you see pictures of me on the album and stuff, you go, what? I mean, they couldn't fit the hat on top of my ponytail, but they put it there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and but Michael Bennett. Was, Michael Bennett was the choreographer. It was the first thing he had done. And Tommy Toon was in the chorus. That's right. Well, at, at, at clog dancing. <laughs> what? Did, did you, you say, say clog dancing? Clog dancing. They introduced clog dancing, where the, the dancers all wore clogs and did, like, like they see down uh, in the south. Did you have to clog dance as well? Oh, no. I just wore boots and a ponytail and a dumb hat. That what was, was enough for you? I guess, I guess, I guess it was, uh, I don't think, I, I must have worn other costumes. I don't know. But I had the <laughs> costume designer then design me a a dress to wear when I traveled with John when we when we when John Raid and I did our act together and it was oh god it was just so darling you want to kill yourself it was just so it wasn't like Dolly Parton but it had a lot of gigaws and ruffles and stuff like that now I have to ask you what was it like working with John Raid very nice he's a wonderful man uh, very very he was very opinionated uh, I worked with him many times after that uh, we did stock together um, but. Uh, but, but Annie, uh, Annie Get Your Gun, we did together a lot. And uh, he would always do his act after the show. What is it with it? Because I was really the star of Annie Get Your Gun, and he felt he didn't get his just Oh, he didn't get his time, um, yeah. So, but then he did that with other things, too. So he, did, uh, he would do that. But he was very, very nice. We would all gather around his feet, practically, and he would just talk about himself in the old days yeah. and, and yeah. What, what guys did and stuff. And, 
And it, he would always say, oh, come on, let's all go. And so the kids in the chorus, we'd go to the restaurant or something, and then he would hold court. And finally, I remember, I remember saying to my friend, I said, if I become like John Reid, I said, just shoot me. I said, it, it's because it was interesting, but I thought, I don't want to be one of those people that talks about, you know, that talks about the old days or, or yes. stuff like that. But he had a lot to talk about. Hell, he was there at history making. Yeah, he was on there. all those wonderful people that he worked with, and he had things to say about that. And uh, I just thought, oh, I hope I can talk about things other than the past. But here I am talking about the past too. Well, that's the point. That's the point of this. <laughs> we asked you. Yes, we asked you. <laughs> you didn't just throw it out We're there. We're thankful. We want more and more. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that we love to do on the podcast, Karen, is talk about more obscure musicals. And one of the ones that we're fascinated with is this. It's called The Grass Harp. Um, our listeners love it. A lot of people that we've interviewed previously on the podcast have talked so highly about it. We had Walter Bobby on a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. And and he spoke so reverentially of it. So I have to ask you, can, can you share some of your experiences about working on the grass harp? Sure. Um, first of all, what you know was originally done many, many years ago before it ever got to New York. Uh, and Elaine Stritch was doing it. it was, I forgot what theater it was. And um, then it was just kind of put to bed someplace. Then when they resurrected it, uh, it was with Celeste Holm. And they did it in Ann Arbor at the college there, at the University of Michigan. They kind of tried it out there. And they brought in, oh, this is terrible, not not Truman Capote. Who did they bring? Oh, come on, come on. Um, um, The play, Ed Albee, Ed Albee. They brought in Ed Albee because I guess, I guess, some, but one of the, the the two writers was a friend of him, yeah. and he came and saw it, and he kind of pointed out where there's problems. But Celeste Holm didn't want, you know, the big baby love number is very, very long on stage. It's very, very long. On the record, it's only 11 minutes, but on stage, the whole sequence was about a, almost a half an hour. <gasps> and he Wow. Didn't, she didn't like the idea of not being in the first act and then coming on the second act. She and she didn't. She didn't want to learn that whole thing either. This is what I heard. This is what this is what they told me. So she uh, quit before they got to Broadway. So this is one of those things where you get to Broadway in a fever. So I'd already been doing you know lots of television and stuff like that, and doing guest shots and and concerts and things. And they, uh, I don't know whose idea it was, but they called me and I had like two weeks. I got an apartment, and I had two weeks to learn the show, and we did not go out of town, and we opened, and, it, you know, it just didn't do well at all. And uh, they had a choice. Uh, Clabe and Kenward, the, the, the composer, the, yeah. the composer and lyricist, had a choice of to, to put some money into keeping it running for another week till we got to the holiday season in hopes that, that it would pick up, or taking that money and, and doing a cast recording. And they decided to take the money and do a cast recording yeah. because in the long term that would service them better as writers because there would be evidence of, you know, and there would be yeah. a good ticket. Yeah. So we closed the show. Again, oh, it was just so sad. Uh, on Christmas Eve. Oh. And, uh, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, we closed Joyful Noise on Christmas Eve. Oh. That was oh. a blizzard. In a blizzard. Ooh. And Tommy Toon and I walked up the street to his friend, 
Rosanna Huffman's apartment. She and Marsha Wallace were sharing an apartment in the Upper West Side. And the only way to go was by walking. Oh my we, goodness! I mean, it was it was one of those things. Where all we needed was a little match girl outside the, the stage door <laughs> as they were unloading <laughs> everything. They're unloading all the all the stuff. And I remember Bonnie Raitt was only about I don't know eight or nine years old or something, and she thought it was just so sad. Oh, yeah. But no, but uh, Joyful Noise, uh, or Grass Harp, closed, and we were we were all called to go and and rehearse rehearse our songs that 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 were going to be put on the record with Jonathan Tunick. Oh. John John was going to go and conduct in Germany. They decided to do it in Germany because they could get a huge orchestra. From all over the continent. That's what when they were. That's what they do. They hear that there's a Broadway show or something, um, doing doing a recording, and then they all want to work. Pardon me. So, so anyway, so I went over to to Clay's apartment and rehearsed my numbers, you know, the tempos and all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. then I said, you know, I've never been to Europe. Can I go with you? Yes. They said, sure, sure. Oh my gosh. So, so I just went and watched them do the recording sessions. Then we would go out with the musicians and everything. And I said, "Oh, I said I really would like to, you know, go and see Europe." And they said, "Why don't you put your stuff down here in Germany, and uh, and then you can go on, you know, go to Paris or wherever you want to go?" And I said, "Really?" Because they were then going to take all the tracks back to New York, and everybody was going to go, going to put their stuff on. And I don't think, if what I can remember is that no two people were in the same recording studio at the same time. So anytime you hear a chorus or something like that, it's I guess everybody recorded their own parts. And they just mix it. And the engineer. I think it was one of the most brilliantly engineered <clears throat> musicals. Unfortunately, somebody uh, took it and recently remixed it and uh, is selling it. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I, I listened to both of them side by side, and the new the new mix is not good because. Oh wow. Well, but it. If the singers are are part of the orchestra, and I just said no, 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 no. The singer always has to be in front. You always have to know that the singer is in front, mm-hmm. and the orchestra not not way in the background, but uh, takes takes secondary position, yeah. more or less, except when they have their moments to shine. But it's just that little nano difference, uh, and I so so if anybody wants to get that CD, it behooves them to get the original. Uh, the, uh, CD, but anyway, that's what I'll do. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's a great recommendation. But you, I hope you know how treasured it is mm-hmm. among so many musical theater fans. Yeah, people uh, people talk about that, and and I know people have said that they clean their house listening to the Baby Love Miracle show, and I <laughs> laugh because it, it just has a lot of energy. But I always use that a combination of that and uh, you know, share my joy and love, all my mm-hmm. joy and love. I. Going into the greenest, grandest, greatest state of them all, I go right into the end of I had a ball, yeah. my, my opening. So, and, and but the thing is, is that you know, twenty years, thirty years after that, people go, "What is that song? What is that?" Opening? But yeah, it was uh, it was it, it was an odd experience doing that because uh, uh, Ellis Rab, our director, was so wonderful. He's just he was just a doll, a dreamboat, fun, fun. He reminded me of Charles Nelson Riley, you know, a little bit mm. more erudite Charles. And uh, I remember <laughs> the night before, a couple, about a week before opening, I said, you know, I just want you to know that I will have 
a nervous breakdown somewhere before opening. I said, I'll, I'll be so scared and so upset and everything. I'll just break down. And so sure enough, about two days before opening, I, I don't know, I, I just sat down in the middle of the stage and just cried and cried oh. and cried and cried. And I hear from the back of the house, is this it, Miss Morrow? Yes, it is. Okay, I'll get over it. But the the one the next thing I remember that he said when I was doing a scene, I had to come in and go, ABGB trouble or whatever I had to do when I made my entrance. He, you know, he said, stop. He said, you know, I would like it to be more blah, 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 blah. And I just said, oh, help me, help me, help me. Give me an image. And he said, think Halloween. And I went, got it. Got it. Okay. Wow. But still, but I never was, I never was the actress that I should have been. You know, I I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to break down scenes. I didn't know how to work slowly. I remember first day of of the read through, and I had a ball, and we were all sitting on the table, and I did this full blown performance, as did Buddy, and we got around to Dick reading his lines, and he was just kind of. And I thought, why on earth did they get him to play a lead in a musical? Well, you can't even hear him. He's not enunciating. Oh, my, oh, my. Well, I didn't realize that you're supposed to work on it slowly. I was the finished product the first day of rehearsal. Yeah. I didn't know how to do that. I did not know how to do that, to take the time of seven weeks or whatever it was. And the same thing with grass. Chris Grad didn't have that time with the grass harp, but... I just didn't know. I just didn't know enough, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I didn't continue. I didn't get really great parts and and have a good Broadway career. I could have had I, if I had if I had been more of a student of the art instead of just a singer that worked a lot. I mean, I kept getting hired for being who I was, and 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 you had some. I mean, there's an element of I don't want to say luck, but. You know, some shows are you you get in a good show, and sometimes you don't. And I think there's a, yeah. you also had some some kind of crappy luck as well. I mean, <laughs> no, but but who gets in crappy shows? I mean, the the really the really extraordinary people get in extraordinary shows, and it doesn't necessarily. I was thinking like Linda Lavin, you know, who was a who was a a, a cohort of mine, and my friend yeah. Nancy Dussel. Nancy Dussel, uh, yeah. I mean, they they were more interesting as actors. They were braver as actors. Now, Linda didn't have the voice that Nancy did or that I did, but she, but she she was an actress and she mm. knew how to use it and how. And so, consequently, she did wonderful things. And I'm um, trying to think of who else. Even little Anita Gillette. Oh yeah. Uh, who now has turned into a wonderful actress. I mean, she was good then, but she really explored her her acting. And of course, I just finished Streisand's. Um, she didn't write it. Um, Hello, Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Have you read it? No, how is it? Well, I want to slip my wrists after I read it, because she was our contemporary. Uh, yeah. And, and a few years younger, and she was, to read how she did her, how she used her ambition uh, was just mind-boggling, because I wasn't aware of any of that. None mm. of I don't know if Nancy said that she... She was aware that, that Barbara was kind of a big deal, but I thought, why didn't we have that kind of ambition? Yeah. What the heck was she doing? Well, she wasn't making friends. I know that. Whereas yeah, yeah. we were, but I just thought that's what it that's what it took. You know, that's what it took to. Now, in addition to your amazing career, you are one of the most. Uh, yes, this is an amazing career. You are. You are. You. You are so well loved and so well respected, 
and I cannot tell you... I need to hear that at this stage, may I tell oh, you? Yeah. That's nice. I, I mean, I cannot tell you the number of students um, who praise your voice. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because, well, you know, be, go ahead. Because, because, oh, sorry. sorry say it yeah. again? No, I just said go ahead. I didn't oh, want to no. interrupt you. It is such a fantastic instrument that so many students will listen to it and go, I want to do that, I want to do that. And that's that really is you. So I, I you might not feel like, <laughs> you, might, you might not feel it sometimes, but trust me, it's there. And so what I wanted to talk to you about, though, was you also are incredibly well-respected as a teacher and as an educator out in Los Angeles. Let's um, say I just love it. How did you how did you transition to teaching? Well, by the way, I just want to go back and comment about what you said about the voice. See, I didn't know I had that voice until mm-hmm. recently, probably about five or six years ago. My friend Mark Sendroff w- would make me sit down and listen to things that he had recorded, and I was distant enough that I sat and I listened to some of these, and I went, "Oh my God, oh my God!" Well, we all we all kind of had those voices going up and down that you know what i mean nancy could do that too uh, 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 pam myers but i but i didn't know that i that that was something that was unusual and now i listen i go geez karen you dodo why didn't you know that why couldn't you have done something so anyway so but i'm, I'm grateful that i just discovered that so now what did you say <laughs> what did you oh I, <laughs> I had asked how did you transition into teaching oh um Bit, bit by bit, uh, when I was doing the TV show Friends, was it Friends? A.J. Carruthers, um, who was the producer and writer of that, had a son at UCLA who was uh, in the Carol Burnett. He was going to do the Carol Burnett competition, and which they did every year. Carol would you know, give money for an award and stuff. And he just said... The kid was educated nicely. I mean, he wanted to do Sondheim for his audition piece. And so his dad asked me if I would coach him. And I said, coach him? What? No. He said, no. He said, I'm a fan, you know, of your voice. And you know how to sing. And you know all that stuff. So would you coach him? I said, okay. So I started working with him. And I realized that I, since I was on the outside of it, and I wasn't singing it, I could hear and listen to where things needed to happen, where he needed to change his sound, where he needed to have a, a new thought, where he needed to, how to connect with me. And so I helped him through that. And, and his dad also I, you know, did his bit in it. And the kid won. He won the competition. And I was just oh. shocked. Christopher Carruthers. And I, I went, oh, 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 my. So then the word kind of spread, and the teacher over... Then I decided. Then I decided to do a class of my own, and I, I put an ad in Backstage West or something, and I got enough people to sign up. Christopher being one of them, Christopher Carruthers, and there were some people that were okay, and I kind of liked it. I, I you know, I, I like talking about things like that. And then I stopped. Then that was the end of that. Uh, then, honey, I can't begin to tell you. Then later on, 25 years ago. I just people kept asking me, "Would you help me? Would you help me? Would you help me? Would you coach me? Would you coach me?" So I just said, "Why don't I start a class again?" 
And so I did. I started what I call my grown-up class. Mm. And that was, we would do one session on a Monday night, and that went on for years and years and years and years and years. And then all of a sudden it got big, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. So I split it into two, a Saturday afternoon class plus a Monday night class. And that's where I am today. And it's all word of mouth. I never advertised again, but wow. it's all word of mouth. Yeah. So I've learned a lot over the years. I think I'm a better teacher now than I was back when I first started, but it comes mm-hmm. from being on the outside and looking in, but having, I know what it feels like to, yep. to not to not um, uh, just keep singing and, and hope that, that the voice is good enough. I now know that, no, 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 it's, I know how to be brave, and that's, that's what I can ask of anybody is to be brave. And the same thing now when I teach high school kids, it's the same thing, I, it, it's a little bit more codified for them, you know, don't move your arms so much, you know, stuff like that. But um, I, it, I, I grew into it and, it, and it was very rewarding. And I don't charge a lot. I mean, I never made hardly any money doing it. The only place that really pays me well is like when I go out to do uh, conferences and stuff like that, you know, in University mm-hmm. of Nebraska or other universities. And then downtown here, I do the semifinalists for the Spotlight Awards, which is a very big competition. Um uh, but county-wise and all of that, that the Music Center Philharmonic sponsors, and that's that's quite rewarding because it's usually the best kids from best teenagers from around. So that's a challenge. But Karen, what performers today um, do you respect and admire? Do you, do you think bring that to the stage when you watch them? Well, I haven't seen much lately. Um, I I definitely think that Kelly O'Hara is a is a talent. I. I I saw oh this is going to be embarrassing I saw um, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder oh yeah uh, here but with but it was with with the, the Broadway understudy and he was so good and this is awful I can't think of his name is it Kevin Hart her Kevin or she something like that I admired his taste and his because he he was different than the guy in New York from what I understand but he chose his own path and I thought he was wonderful not 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 the one who plays the, the 100,000 parts but the the, the younger guy yeah. the other guy yeah. just so consistent so but now let's see I you know I respect uh I just haven't seen anybody I've seen that's been out here I th- I think that that um uh, 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 oh, who's doing great? I think that Betty Buckley is just quite extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. She's nuts, but she's extraordinary. Um, who's, oh, God, who's playing with her in Grey Gardens? Um, um, Rachel York. I think yeah. Rachel has done really well doing all sorts of things. I think she's terrific. And men, Stokes has grown on me. Mm. He's grown on me. Um, uh, let me see. Who else? Oh, well, Victoria Clark just knocked me out when I saw her. She's amazing. Oh, light in the piazza. She was, uh, she also, I didn't, I, I thought she was a she was really good in Follies out here with Ron Raines, but, but mm-hmm. not quite vulnerable enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I mean, because she was just almost too good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her voice was so beautifully rounded and so, so wonderfully, exquisitely trained. And, and I hear she's a good teacher. Yes, yes she's she a great teacher, teacher actually. You're right. right. Love, ha. Um, who else? I don't know. Name some people for me. Name some people <laughs> that are current. I was going to say, besides, um, well, there's obviously, there's, you know, Audra McDonald. The... Yeah, I, I admire her career. I'm, I never, st- I, 
from the very beginning, when when she was not Audra and somebody was auditioning her to do a recording for them, I thought her voice was not not mellow and not nice, and I didn't want to listen to her on the recording. But they got her anyway, and, and now she's Audra McDonald. So who am I? What do I know about anything? <laughs> so, but I mean, I admire her so. I admire her so. You know, Bernadette and that Patty Lapone, all those people. They just have worked their tushies off, and they mm-hmm. they stayed who they are. And I admire that tendency to say, "Oh, I never really quite did as well as as Babs strives in." And yeah. uh, I mean, we're all we're all going through that. What didn't I do? We sit and we talk about it. You know, I didn't become this. I didn't do that. And everybody's got those. Right now, we're going. Everybody's going through that, and we yeah. have to be reminded. We just have to be reminded of. Of what of what there what there is and what is left and yep. left behind for people and the legacy that you that you created because you did create a legacy, Karen. And that and if we're the ones to help remind you today, then I am certainly happy to be on that boat. <laughs> uh, oh, it's just so wonderful! I know it. I, I'm I'm delighted. I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted. And I probably will go and fix myself a hot fire Sunday now. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give myself permission. To eat something really outrageous, and I thought, well, this has been so good. I that won't put any calories on me today because no I'm, way because I'm wonderful. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I love that. That's so oh, wonderful. Yeah. I, I hope we get to see you on stage again quite soon as well. Well, I don't know where, but okay. <laughs> oh, anything. We we love watching you. We we love seeing you on stage. Well, thank you. I think probably I was in thinking about this. Uh, I know I know my friend Nancy's going to go to New York and do a do a night at at, uh, at fifty four below, and um, she still has you know her ambition there. And I just thought, Karen, just keep singing, just keep yeah. singing, get the voice up, because I, I I have been singing at, at you know these conferences and stuff like that. I I, I did one with uh, with the the guys who wrote Elf, and I did music from Elf yeah. uh, at the University of Nebraska, and then I just did uh, something with with Steve Lutvac. Um, of his oh, yeah. and and stuff like that, and I thought, and I'm always amazed because I don't give myself enough time to to uh, to get the voice going, and I thought, Karen, you just got to vocalize every week to keep it up. Do so, it anyway. I will. I will. Please, Please do, do it. it, Karen. I, I hate to I hate to talk business over the phone, uh, but I'm a producer at 54 Below, where Nancy's going to be. Oh and yeah. Please let me know if you ever want to come do a cabaret. I know it would sell tickets. Really? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just I'm going to plant that seed in your head, and you can do with it what you want. But trust me, pe- people would love to see you in New York, and would, would absolutely come out for an evening of your work. Definitely. Wow, that's that's really something. Thank you. I would probably have to go right to the hospital from there. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why I don't keep doing an act. First of all, I don't like working at night. Secondly. Uh, what and of course Nancy she said oh she's delighted because she's working at seven o'clock she says isn't that great I went oh that's fabulous but um, it, it, it's 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 just that that the kind of singing that I did and the kind of singing that people liked and expect of me is big and fun and mm-hmm. it was a balance thrown in every once in a while and I thought that takes so much more energy than Does. planning an evening of lovely songs you know it's just so much I mean you Nancy's act is just Lovely, and she does a lot of lovely, lovely, lovely material. But she does those so well. And plus, she does a couple, of, you know, funny things and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I thought I would have to do just the opposite. I'd have to do more funny, more kind of up things, and then and then fewer ballads. But it'd be worth it. 
Karen, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. Good luck, good luck, and I look forward to hearing from you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.